Welcome back to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. This is Joe Martin, your host. We've got an awesome guest with you today, Andrew Walker from PhysioWorks. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on him, then we'll just get into this thing. So he's a physical therapist and he's the owner of PhysioWorks Sports and Wellness. He's been a PT for 17 years. Hey, the cool kids, that's a physical therapist. They call him a PT. So anyway, so five years ago, he made that plunge, started his own business. I know how scary that is. So he's done that five years ago. And he's kind of focused on athletic injuries and sport performance. I uh, wanted to have him on. He's got something cool we want to talk about a little bit later, but specifically because he's such a helpful guy. He's always reaching out to others, helping other people. So I want to have him on, share some information, give you some nuggets of wisdom here. So Andrew, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, man, it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah, always good to hang out. So uh, we'll get a little bit of your background first. So uh, if you heard his accent there for a minute, it, 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 that ain't Coleman, Alabama right there. So, uh, so where did you grow up, Andrew? Yeah, I grew up in London, England. Yeah, yeah. City boy, like a bird in a country. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you, you graduated high school. What's the path after that? Yeah. So I did my high school there. I did my um, PT education there in college, and um, then was working in London. I worked in the UK for five years, and during that time, I met my wife, who is um, a rocket scientist. She's from Georgia, America, not Georgia, Europe. And um, basically, once we got married and once she finished grad school, we um, it made a lot more sense to move stateside than stay there for her work. And my work travels pretty well. So, um, but yeah. So. That's pretty cool. I mean, you're actually married to a rocket scientist. That's pretty amazing, man. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's kind of roundabout. We actually we met. Um, we were going to the same church, a big church, didn't know each other. And um, we actually met on the lead up to a mission trip to Russia. So, I mean, you know, as roundabout as it can get. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, we all have that story of going to church and meeting a rocket scientist on a Russian fishing trip. Yeah, that's that old story. We've all been there. So, yeah, that's cool, man. So let's talk a little bit about your practice and kind of how you how you go about things. Now, so you started your own thing. So what was a, what was the impetus for? Hey, I'm working with these people. I'd like to start my own thing. So how was that decision made? Yeah, so I've always enjoyed working with athletes. And I've worked with all sorts of different things. You know, patients had strokes, patients who've had joint replacements, but athletes were always interesting to me. I've had my own athletic injuries over the years, playing rugby at school, playing soccer, um, the English game of cricket that most Americans don't have a clue oh, about. Um, it looks like fun. It's, yeah, it's pretty intense. So you can get broken ribs from balls flying 80 or 90 miles an hour at you. So yeah, it's pretty tough. But um yeah, I always had a passion for working with athletes. And in the UK, I got to work with some pretty decent soccer players, some academy players from some of the English Premier League teams and um, some other things. And over here, I was working for one of the big orthopedic groups and got to see a decent amount of sports stuff there. But I really felt that we couldn't give them the care we were needed to because we were limited by how insurance controlled how therapy was done. So right. you know, yeah. you a certain amount of visits that you do, insurance company says you know you can do this treatment you can't do that treatment when like, we're happy to work on your um, son going up and down stairs after his acl surgery but we don't really care about him getting safely back to school so unfortunately because of that we saw therapy often got cut off before the real return to school progress um, was done and we see people who would be re-injured and uh, or you know either the same injury or um, another injury, different type of injury, with something like ACLs, for example, you know, it's a real notorious thing for um, re-tearing, unfortunately. And um, a lot of the time, it's just the rehab never took them far enough and they went back to the sport too soon. So, you know, the backdrop of all of that, I'm just, you know, I decided, okay, we're at a point in life now where I'd considered opening a clinic before and really hadn't quite worked out timing-wise with kids. Mm -hmm. And we just thought, okay, we need to do this now. And um, 
to be honest, I haven't really looked back. It's been an absolutely great experience. And I've got to meet, uh, meet fun people like yourself and um, got to work with some really neat athletes. And now I've been working a lot with runners. That's a big part of my um, big part of my practice. We do video running analysis and um, sort of break down their running gait and look at their overall um, physique and training and um, see how can we progress that and take them to the next level. So like I was telling you before, and uh, before we got on the show, we worked a lot with Huntsville Highs kids. Um, bring some of them back from injury and I mean it's last week they got the fastest aggregate time in the country for cross country which is pretty neat and you know, you have a, so you have a little involvement with that that's quite quite exciting and um, yeah so it's been it's been a, an interesting path to get there but you know it's just continuing to grow and now we're actually it doesn't look much right now actually the white background behind me but we've actually just um, moved into a new office um, where we've got a big sort of open sort of gym space and um, We've got a couple of private rooms where we're going to hopefully bring in maybe a massage therapist and a sports psychologist and some other things. Yeah. Just sort of you need a little bacon back there, it looks like. That's the only thing you're missing. There's a couple I know, of right? strips right there. Need my nutritionist as well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they might not recommend that. But so, uh, so you're dealing with a lot of these athletes, especially with runners. I know you work with a lot of runners. What is uh, what are kind of some common injuries you're seeing? Overuse stuff or just over? I mean, you typically overuse, or what do you typically see? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is overuse. I mean, yeah, you see some traumatic stuff where people have surgeries, but in, I mean, a lot of the cases that I see is mostly overuse injuries and or, or under-recovery injuries, we sometimes call them. Basically, kids or adults who are pushing themselves further than the capacity that their body has. And um, I mean, we go to sort of look at runners, and I don't know if I've got something up in the corner of the screen to see if it comes up. There we go. Um, <laughs> get the tech working today. So, I mean, this really is the, this is the top five running injuries. We've got shin splints, got Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, patellar tendinopathy, and ankle sprains. And, um, you know, they're things that all relate to, to some degree to an overload. Like, and so, for example, Achilles tendinopathy, we use the word tendinopathy rather than tendinitis now because historically we call it tendinitis and we treat it as an inflammatory condition. We give them a Maybe they take anti-inflammatories, they'd ice it, doctor might give a steroid, but the problem is we've found that really inflammation isn't a big part of the problem. The, um, the cells get overloaded and um, the collagen, rather than being nice and linear, starts to become wavy in parts and they just can't deal with the stress as well. So then the cell kind of deteriorates in parts and in parts of the tendon. So by calling it tendinopathy rather than tendinitis, we take the focus away from the inflammation and we actually put it to the fact that there's a structural issue and um, that we actually need to improve the capacity of that structure to deal with the load that's involved. And um, going to runners, I mean, a great example of this is, so again, so with Achilles tendinopathy, if you do, if you walk, you put about three times body weight through your Achilles, through your calf. If you do a standing calf raise with body weight, you do the same. But if you run, you can put anywhere between five and eight times body weight through that calf. So, if your training is just running and you've got an already overloaded Achilles tendon, it's going to get sore. Um, so you basically need to do good, good strength training to build up that capacity. So um, you know, all of these really there, they need to rebuild their capacity beyond what they've um, been doing historically. So a lot of the runners I see, they love running, don't really care for strength training. And what strength training they do is very often low load, lots of reps because they thought they had to do strength training for endurance. Well, hey, you know what? You're doing all this running. You're getting your endurance there. Yeah. You actually do heavy loads and tendons like heavy, slow loads because it helps to change their structure and build more capacity. So, you know, our... Um, getting strong fixes a lot of things, doesn't it? 
You do. I mean, it's really neat, actually, when you look at some of the evidence of what um, resistance training does, like you know, cardiovascularly and with muscles and tendons and bones. Imagine bones. They get a lot of, with the kids, the, the young girls get a lot of stress fractures. Um, and, you know, typically what have we done? We've put them in a boot, we've got them on crutches, we've unloaded it, which sometimes is okay. But then they're like, oh, we feel better. Doctor does an x-ray. Oh, yeah, it looks pretty good. Go back to running. But they haven't done anything to rebuild the capacity of the bone. Right. Strength training rebuilds the capacity of the bone. It's much, much better than running for that, actually. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, the, so, so let's talk about preventing injuries a little bit. So strength training obviously sounds like one thing they can do. What is something else people can do can, to prevent even having to get those injuries? Look at you, man. You're The right one didn't come up. Let's see. Let's see if I get it. There we go. <laughs> Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> I, gotta get on your level. I took, I took, I, I put some thought into this. It's how much I respect you, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, strength training, we already covered. I mean, I think it's a hugely important one. Most sports require, and actually just um, same strength training for a second, like a sport that historically has involved lots of range of motion, ballet. You know, you think, okay, ballet, you need to do tons of stretching and, um, the world's leading ballet programs are not doing that anymore. So there's uh, some pretty nice articles out there about the Australian National Ballet and their physio, their phys physical therapist, physio in Europe, Australia, everywhere else apart from the US, yeah. um, came in and said, look, you know, the evidence is saying we probably shouldn't be stretching. Instead, we should be doing strength training that takes them through their full range of motion. And they've been doing that. And, uh, you know, the ballerinas at first were like, what? You know, we're not sure about this. But they've been doing it, ballerinas, little ballerinas lifting barbells and all sorts of stuff like that. And um, they've actually had less injuries and their performances have been just as good. So strength training pretty much should be, even with heavy loads, should be something that should be, you know, in every every sports program pretty much. Um, variation multi-sport. We were talking about your um, your son and basketball and football earlier. I said, you know, multi-sport is really key. Um, you know, historically, what have people been told? I mean, you did sports when you were growing up. A lot of coaches would push athletes to sort of specialise in that sport. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think there are some sports that are worse for that than others, but the research really is starting to show that actually doing multi-sports all the way through high school actually um, helps athletic development, but also helps to reduce um, injuries and reduce burnout. So I think that that's a, a highly important thing. And, um, you, know, I, if, you know, my kids are five and seven, so I mean, they're, they're not there yet, but... You know, we're trying to encourage them to do everything, just try different things. And when they get to that level where they maybe show more of an excellence in one thing over another, I'm still going to try and keep them doing doing something else as well, just to because they're using muscles differently, they're using their brains differently. And um, you know, you and I growing up, we, we kind of played by seasons, right? You would play this few during the season, and you play all kind of sports in the neighborhood or school or wherever. Uh, a lot of that's kind of gone gone away, and you're you're right; they start specializing. You're really early right now because. Everybody wants to be the next Tiger Woods or the next great baseball player or football player. But yeah. you know, if you look at the NFL draft, I think it was 30 of the top 32 first round draft picks were multi-sport athletes. Yeah, it's like 87 percent, I think. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Some huge percentage. Like these, they're not just one-trick ponies, you know. Yeah, they're like you know, football and track, football and basketball, whatever. They they, they did lots of stuff. And I mean, look at Bo Jackson, one of the best, um, one of the best athletes that's been in the football and baseball world. Right. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty outstanding, isn't it? <laughs> and I like what you said earlier, not just uh, overdoing it, but under recovering. And that's kind of one of your points you have up there as well, is that getting that good sleep. Yeah, oh, totally. Sleep's a hugely important thing. So, um, you know, the amount of length of sleep is important, but the quality of sleep as well. So, you know, 
we that's one of the things I talk to injured athletes about. You know, going back to the high schools, I think people often think, oh, you know, I've got an easy life. But you know what? High school is stressful. Right. <laughs> yeah. Social. I mean, I can't imagine life with social media at that age. Gosh, I mean, life like as a high school it was tough enough at times anyway with kids being mean, right? Let alone social media. So they have stresses. They have things like computer, you know, computer games to a degree we didn't have back then. So I just find a lot of my high schoolers, their um, their sleep patterns are actually not very good, and it probably is very you know consistently feeding kids who get injured, but also ones that have or oh, in kids, but people who get injured, but also to the intensity of the pain. There's links between lack of good quality sleep and intensity of pain. So you know if you've got a painful problem, one of the easiest things you could do is try to get better sleep, which isn't always easy if you've got pain, but you know, there are things you can do. You have trouble getting to sleep, right? You know, maybe consider melatonin, for example. Now I'm not a pharmacist or a doctor and so I'm not making that as a gross recommendation, but there are things you can consider. Um, like I, I just did an update to my phone the other day and it's now got a sleep sort of thing built into it that kind of helps to recommend when to go to get, you know, get off the phone and dim the phone and give it an extra locking stage. So I'm like, what you can do for that? Yeah, I try to get my clients, hey, turn your phone off at eight o'clock, eight or nine o'clock, somewhere right there, just, hey, have it turned off and let yourself get at least an hour before bedtime to kind of get that, get right. that so you can get to that REM sleep. And then kids, you know, uh, we have this thing on my son's phone where he kind of tracks and he gets texts and all this stuff. And, hey, if you got a phone, man, we know everything's going on there. So he'll get texts and stuff at 2 a.m. On like a school night, uh, come on, we, we don't let him take his phone in his bedroom because that's a temptation, you know, who knows what's gonna happen. You don't need that thing. So uh, mm -hmm. I know a lot of these kids are getting disrupted sleep. They'll wake up in the middle of the night and get on that phone and check social media and send text or whatever. And so right. if you're doing that, you're obviously not gonna get back to get that good sleep. Yeah, so I mean, I, my, my job, like it's not just all physical examination. There's a good bit of like history taking and sort of counseling and working out, you know, what do people need? What, right. what help do they need? So, yeah. yeah, get that full picture. You gotta have it. So, so let's say something bad, something bad does happen. You do get injured. What are kind of some steps some people can make physically and mentally as well to kind of get through this? I think, you know, when someone does get hurt, you know, you can often tell why that happened. Like if it's, if it's an instantaneous thing, you can't control that, but you can then look back and say, okay, what was I like before? Are there things that are barriers towards me getting better? So again, going back to sleep, is that something I can modify? Was my diet particularly good before? Is that something I can modify? Um, I've got put another couple of little things up on the screen here. These are things that I get, I hear. So I get patients who come in who are told that they've got the worst case of, you know, whatever that's ever been seen. That's what the doctor tells them, or the PT or someone like that. Or they say that I've got the back of a 70-year-old. Well, you know, if you're 30 or 40 and you're told you've got the back of a 70-year-old, it's not particularly helpful. Um, so I think, you know, this goes into our optimism side of our talk, doesn't it? You know, what you're told makes a difference. So I think that's where... Sometimes your injury experiences make you think about who you're surrounded by, you know, what health professionals you go to see, what friends maybe you're around, like you, you know, you've had a shoulder injury, do you sort of associate yourself so much at that point with the person who's had horrible shoulder problems and is going to be sort of woe betide you on, on, on shoulder problems and not be so encouraging? Uh, maybe not. I mean, not that you completely disown your friends, but you might have to say, okay, look, you know, I need to have a little bit of space for you right now. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing with this is that 
these statements really do actually have a negative um, effect on people's health care. And they're really associated with how historically medicine has been practiced. So very often you go and see a doctor, they want to give you a solution, they want to find a problem. So, okay, we can come in, we'll do a scan. You've got a rotator cuff tear, you've got a meniscal tear. That's your problem. But like we've already discussed, there are lots of other things that kind of feed into the problem. So it's not purely this biological issue. So we, you know, what we used to call the biomedical model is kind of being replaced by what we call a biopsychosocial model because it's got psychological components, it's got sociological components. So I mean, basically in the past, we had this model, which was Descartes, there's Descartes, who uh, basically thing, you know, foot on the flame, little nerve goes all the way to the brain and you know that's what caused the pain but it's not as simple as that i heard a story before of a um a neuroscientist who went for a walk in the um, australian outback and um he got stung by he got bit i'm sorry by a snake anyway months later got better walking through similar outback again and he felt a sharp searing pain looked down expecting to see a snake bite there was no snake bite he'd been stuck by a blade of grass but the whole situation had made his brain perceive the risk of being the same as bitten by a snake so he thought until he recognized that he'd been bitten by a snake so basically we have to take into account many many things of what have come in to give the person a problem and try to address them so you know like i said sleep stress nutrition they're all things that we can modify what people tell us surrounding ourselves by positive people. I think those are all very, very important things. And I think recognizing um, that things aren't always as bad as maybe they seem. So just this, I, I, like, I like this infographic, you know, some of these infographic things I'm pulling off of um, social media stuff I've done before. So this one here, I think is, pretty, is a pretty neat one. So let's say you've got back pain and you've had um, MRI. Well, let's say you'd had that MRI months before okay and you didn't have pain so what it shows here is that many people have no pain but have disc degeneration and bulging so look 50 year olds who are pain free 80 percent have degeneration 60 percent have disc bulges wow that's pretty crazy isn't it yeah. so all of a sudden you have pain you go and get an mri because the doctor sends you for one he tells you you've got the you know you've got all these things going on it's fine at the 70 year old and um you you think all of a sudden that your back's banged, when in fact, maybe your back is no different from what it was when you didn't have pain. The pain may have absolutely nothing to do with the findings on the scan. So this is where there's a lot of a push right now in, in, in our sort of medicine and physical therapy to not to treat the person, not the scan. Um, so I think you know, be optimistic, like most back pain, for example, is not going to last for long. Like 90, 90% of people have back pain in their lifetime. So if you have that pain, as long as it's not associated with other more concerning changes, the odds are it's going to get better in a lot of cases on its own. It might be able to be directed with some of the things we've already talked about by seeing a good PT who helps you do the right exercises, um, maybe does some hands-on stuff. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's going to get better. Yeah. And you know, if, if someone tells you you have the back of a 70-year-old and it's probably not going to get better, are you more likely to do your rehab? Are you more likely to continue doing your strength training? All these things you talked about, you're probably not going to keep doing that because you're going to feel hopeless. You're going to feel like, well, what's the use? 
Well, that's exactly right. So that's one of the things we might, you know, and we've got some good doctors around here. It's not, not uh, this isn't a bash of the medical community. Um, but, you know, sometimes I do have to kind of deconstruct things for patients. Like, you know, you come in and they've got, sometimes it's what the doctors told them. Sometimes it's what they've read online. And I'm not someone who says that, you know, they shouldn't Google their problems. Well, you've got to be careful what you look at, right? Yeah. Um, they're told things by family members and friends, but sometimes we have to deconstruct things and sort of make sure that people have a good framework to sort of move on with. Um, so it can be tough sometimes. You know, you've got someone who's had back pain for 20 years, they've got a lot of pre-existing ideas on why they have back pain and what they what they should do about it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how that all works. You got the mind, the body, your environment, all these types of things. So that's cool that you're treating, the, you know, the, not just the person in front of you, you know, their whole, their house, what it looks like and what they're doing in their job and all those things. Yeah, we, have, I mean, we, you know, we talk about some pretty tough things sometimes. And, you know, and also just the recognition that, okay, I'm a physical therapist. I have so, a certain amount of knowledge, right? But there are sometimes patients I have to refer on. So sometimes it's a, more, it's a medical problem. They need more help for. Maybe they need to go and see a neurosurgeon at this point. But also sometimes they need to see a psychologist. Or sometimes they need to have some kind of counselling. You know, it's, it's, it's knowing kind of the, the, what you know and also what you don't know and being prepared to help that patient by referring them on. So back in the UK, actually, at one point, we were, I was um, working at a place that had a, a multidisciplinary pain clinic. So we had the patient came in and they would see, it was a, see a, an anesthesiologist, a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, and they'd see a PT. And then those three professionals would come together at the end talk through the case and work out, okay, what is the best approach? Because pain isn't, you know, one factor, it's multifactorial. And um, that was very effective, especially for real like chronic persisting pain patients. And that's something we've got a huge, unfortunately, we've got a huge problem with. We all know about, you know, opiate addictions and right. things like that. And it's a, you know, we've got to probably as a healthcare wellness community, we've got to do better really at working together and not trying to just do everything ourselves. That's it, yeah. So uh, we've got a few more questions for you. So uh, what is, uh, in your personal experience, what is kind of, what are some misconceptions about the physical therapy field that you, you see in your practice? Well, I think one big misconception is it's something that's done to you. So patients come in very often expecting a magical manipulation, okay? mm -hmm. or they want you to wave some ultrasound wand and for it to feel better. But um, they're not necessarily so interested in the exercise component yet the research we have shows that the most effective thing we can do is the exercise component if it's done well um so a lot of people are expecting to maybe do some light weights and some bands and stuff well at least in the i mean the community i work with as athletes we certainly want to do heavier loads but actually the research is now showing that in elderly people we want to do heavy loads with them to counteract osteoporosis, for example, and um, you know age-related muscle changes. So, actually, your therapy should actually be very active. It's not to say that there's not a place for some of those other things. I say there's a place sometimes for manual therapy. Will be I think it's a small place. Mm -hmm. um, ultrasound, to be honest, it's more of a placebo effect. Not again, placebo effect can go quite strong, but. Um, you're not, we're not doing the things we were taught in school. And when we're waving an ultrasound wand, the physiology that's happening isn't making someone feel better. Um, same with electric stimulation. But I, yeah, I, think, I think physical therapy should be a very, very active, um, active thing. And really that's what people need when they're in pain because pain causes them to be inactive. So, yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah, I, I see that as well. You know, when I first went to physical therapy, I was like, well, they're going to, you know, snatch my shoulder around and do it for me. I'll just sit there and it's going to be, it's going to hurt. You know, I think that's one thing people thought, oh, it's going to hurt. They're going to crank my shoulder, my knee or whatever. And that's not the case with what you do. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point about pain, actually. You know, pain is a learned behavior. So if you keep getting put in pain in therapy, what's going to happen? You're going to come back in feeling more on edge, maybe tight and more guarded. So actually, I've seen people have had knee replacements and they've been going back into therapists and the therapists have been banging away at their knee trying to get it bending more and they're not going anywhere. And maybe you get the chance to see them. You take a much more gentle, graded approach and they actually make some progress. It's like, and they're like, whoa, why, why has it been like this up to now? It's like, yeah, <laughs> do things a bit differently. That's it. So let me talk about this. What was, your, what was one of your biggest failures and how did you respond to it? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I had to, you know, you gave me these questions up front and I'm like, man, what am I going to say here? Um, I, you know, to be honest, I think going through high school, I had to repeat a year of high school because I enjoyed myself far too much around about the age of 16 and didn't do so well academically, even though, you know, previously up to then I'd never really had any academic issues. And um, a lot of it was just, I was, you know, just trying to enjoy myself and I wasn't very organized, so I was leaving a lot of things to the last minute. And I kind of picked up on that through high school, did well again. Um, first year of college, kind of kind of went down that route again and just enjoyed myself, not focusing so much, but then realizing, you know what, if I want to have you know financial independence, if I want to do the job that I want to do and excel in it, I can't do this. So really, I'm, I'm still not, I'm still more of a sort of, go by the minute kind of person. I'm much, you know, my wife's much more organized than I am, but I've kind of improved my organization to a degree. And she'll probably watch this and she'll be laughing when she hears that. But um, definitely it's, um, it's in, an improvement on parents' hat. That's good. So to parents out there, you're worried about your teenagers. It's okay. Look at look what yeah. he's got. He's a physical therapist. A physio. I'm gonna start calling you physio. I'm gonna start acting like I'm a European. Yeah, physio. Yeah, yeah. My, my European name. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, what's your biggest challenge right now? You just moved into the new spot. Is it kind of you know getting clients to the new spot and growing your client base? What's your biggest challenge right now? I mean, I think some of it is just trying to find a balance um, with COVID. So, I mean, we've got two young kids that we're um, doing school at home right now. Um, moving into the new office, we've got existing clients, we've got some that come back, we've got some new ones that come through. So it's just trying to find the balance, really. I mean, I want the kids to be able to look back and re realize that we were there for them enough that we, you know, it's kind of funny, like I'm there, I'm, I'm there a pretty decent amount of time, and my son will sometimes be upset that I went out at a certain time. And like, I'm like, dude, a lot of kids' dads are out at seven in the morning and they're back like after you get home from school. Yeah. You see a lot more of me, and we, you know, we're, we're doing some of this. Like we, could, we could be trying to really push the practice and get a lot more patients in the door, but we're trying to find a balance. So just trying to find a balance that works for us, and obviously it's different for every person, so yeah, it's what works it's, for us. It's been a struggle for a lot of people right now, so you, you, you guys do a good job. I know you, you and your wife are a good team. So uh, what inspires you? What, what are you inspired by right now? Well, am I inspired by? I think you had two questions for me. One was what inspires me and what makes me curious. <laughs> yeah, so you got, you got double. You can ask me right. one. So, what inspires me? It may be one of the same. You may be inspired and curious about the same thing. Who knows? 
I, I had different enthusiasm. What inspires me is my patients, to be perfectly honest. And um, I know that sounds maybe sappy, but um, each patient that comes in has an issue that they're dealing with. And I guess it's, in, it's pretty inspiring to watch them overcome some difficult things. Um, you know, and sometimes they don't overcome, and that then inspires me to review what I've worked on. You know, did I miss something? What could I have done differently? And that can include how did I talk to them? Did I kind of educate them correctly? Did I understand where they were coming from? Um, you know, is there stuff that I don't know and I need to kind of hit the books, hit the research papers and kind of understand things better? So I'd say that's, patients really are quite inspiring. Just something to see a kid who's had a stress fracture, let's say, at the start of their season, or maybe in the, like, just before their season, to then come back and to try and get competitive to try and maybe make states. I mean, that's pretty inspiring to see that level of workload, that level of dedication, and just to go through the emotional ringer. You know, that's, it's, I've, I've had, I have people in here in tears sometimes, <laughs> not because of me hurting them, but emotionally, these things are very tough for them. And um, you know, I kind of live, live these things with them a little bit. You know, when I, when I get a text message from a parent on a weekend saying, oh yeah, she got a PR and she did really well. And I'm like, I'm tired to tell my wife, like, this is so awesome. My wife doesn't quite get it in the same way. And she's yeah. excited, but having lived it with them in a sense, you know, it's, um, it's pretty inspiring, really. Yeah, I see, um, I see the same thing with my clients. Well, I, just, I understand mm -hmm. what you mean. You, you live that grind with them day to day, and you, know, you see the ups and downs, and you see them succeed. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome. Seeing that hard work pay off. So. Well, you know, and, you know, typically in physical therapy, like, you know, they may go two or, time, two or three times a week for four weeks. Like, I, the way I do therapy is different. I may see patients four to six times for over a six month period. So I tend to get to know them pretty well over that length of time and see, and see them develop. And um, it's pretty neat, to be honest. Yeah, that is cool. So right, now, now, what are you curious about? So I need to. Right, what am I curious about? Right. Um, Blood flow restriction training is kind of my uh, my thing right now, and you might be familiar with it because it, there's there's some use of it in the personal training world. And um, you know, people watching this um, this video might be like, "What the heck is blood flow restriction training?" Um, it's actually been around for like forty or fifty odd years or something like that. And um, a lot of the early work was done in Japan. Then actually, the U.S. military started to do research on it with amputees. And um, what we do is we put a, let's say on the shoulder here, we put a tourniquet around the um, axilla here and we pump it up and we see at what point do we stop blood going into the arm and coming out of it. So what point do we get full occlusion? And then we'll, we can start doing exercises with partial occlusion. We don't, we don't tip, we, and there are cases when we do stuff with full occlusion, but for most people, we're going to do some form of exercise with a pressure around the shoulder that partially occludes blood flow. And what it does is it causes there to be an, a, um, a met metabolic sort of crisis in a sense. The system is not so well set up metabolically because the blood with all of the, you know, the things that are produced um, when you're exercising, they're getting trapped there. And what it means is that we can do, um, let's say a bicep curl with a light weight and get the effect of lifting something heavy. So it's a really neat way of helping to accelerate someone's rehab. So I've used it a lot with um, people who've had surgery. So I had a girl who had PCL surgery not too long ago, and um, there are restrictions on what she can do. She's not only allowed to do, lift, you know, do heavy weights at first, or physically she can't do heavy weights at first. So what we do 
put the blood flow restriction cup around her thigh up, sort of close to the groin, pump it up and have her do body weight squats, for example, or just knee extensions sitting on the edge of the bed with maybe just a leg weight. But it stimulates, essentially, lifting something heavy and reproduces some of those gains. Now, it's still no substitute for heavy lifting, but let's say, I mean, you, you're familiar with the idea of periodization, obviously. For people watching that, the idea that you may be, you, you're not going to keep going up in weight every single week. You might do three weeks of gaining and then one week of backing off before going up again. Well, that week when you're backing off, you could do that week with blood flow restriction training. So you're not putting your body through the stress of the heavy loads, but you're still getting the benefits of perhaps the toning effect or the strengthening effect. So um, it's pretty, and like other, other areas I've used it in, I've used it in some performance stuff with some of my runners where we actually do use it maximally. We put it on maximal for five minutes, their legs start to go a nice shade of purple, their blood vessels start to pop out a little bit, take it off, give them five minutes rest, we cycle through that four cycles and then stick them on the treadmill and have them do like a maximal attempt one mile for example and um, that's been shown to improve their vo2 max so this pretty um, pretty neat and actually if you go on the physio works blog you know, there's actually a blog article i wrote on it with um, a couple of sort of case examples one's a high school runner with that methos then and another one actually was a um a uh, US um, national team gymnast who was using it when he went overseas and didn't have access to heavy weights. So he used it there to help. Yeah, it's uh, from I've, I've known a few people do it. They say it, it's pretty tough, but it, it does work. So that's a yeah, pretty you've got to be, you've got to expect there's going to be a you know, talk about pain. You're going to expect that there's a bit more a muscle soreness with it. Not pain, pain, but muscle soreness. Right. You can actually get the real effect of it. But um, it's such a neat, I mean, there's lots of fads in physical therapy that come and go. but the research that's coming behind this is really, really promising to the point where like top ACL surgeons in the country are pretty much demanding that their patients have it done um, in their immediate aftermath of rehab. So yeah, pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right, so uh, this is a very important question. If you go to any restaurant in the world, where would you go? Yeah, I had to think about that because I've been fortunate enough to travel a bit. But, um, yeah, remember traveling? Remember when we did that? that was I know, right? Gosh. I know, we were supposed to be in London this um, this summer and uh, see my parents. And unfortunately, we had to um, we had to cancel that. But yeah, I mean, there were two restaurants here. Yeah, I was kind of choosing two between London and um, one of them is a chain called Nando's. And um, Nando's does wonderful spicy grilled chicken. And it's actually, I think it's called the Portuguese or South African chain. But um, they've got them up in DC. So we haven't been up to DC before and had Nando's. Um, not, not going there for Nando's, but we've been up there and had Nando's. Um, but yeah, if we go back to London, Nando's is a big one. There's another one actually quite like, it's the one I like, called Wagamama. That's a great name. I like that name. It's kind of a Japanese fusion restaurant. Again, it's a chain, but it's a really good chain. They've got them actually in DC and I think Boston maybe. Um, but I keep hoping that they'll come down here and I've looked, there's no franchising opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> Even to look at myself or encourage someone else to do, they're not franchising in America. So it's a shame, but I'm hoping that one day they'll come to America in a big way. <laughs> All right, Nando's and Wagon Mama, that's where I need Wagon Mama, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm ready, I'm gonna check them out. All right, so uh, gotta end these on a dad joke. And uh, I did a little research too. I don't have graphics like you did. But what I uh, looked up, what the uh, they looked at the kids, what their favorite dad jokes were in Britain last year. So oh, really, the, the number one dad joke from Britain last year. So uh, let's see. 
Why does a crab never share? Go why? Because he's a shellfish. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a perfect reaction right there. All right, you can see his uh, physioworkshsv.com, his website. I'm going to put his contact information in the show notes. Uh, it'll have his phone number in there as well. He likes to just answer questions and talk to people. Oh, look at him, 256-529-7395. And I've got a link to his Facebook page and his email and his, and his website as well in the show notes. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on, man, and giving us some knowledge. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, man. Really, if anyone wants to reach out, I'm more than happy to chat through problems, questions, and whatnot. So, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. And um, it's a pleasure to be on with you today, Jay. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. Please do me a huge favor. Hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all of our episodes as they come out. I think this is needed in people's world right now. So please remember that positivity is a choice. Choose wisely.